Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you took the time to listen to this message. This is the second in our series called Hashtag Throwback. Hey, before you listen to this message, we want to apologize in advance. We had some difficulties with our audio, and so it doesn't sound as crisp as we're used to on the podcast. But we think this message is still going to encourage and inspire you. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. For those of you guys, uh, if you guys could just make some noise, how many guys were able to be here for our outdoor service two weeks ago? Just make some noise. Amazing. Church Online, hey, welcome as well. You guys can make some noise in the comments. Um, for those of you guys who are here for our outdoor service, uh, if you missed it, all you need to know is that our church outdoor service was basically like a church service here in the church. It just uh, was outside. But it had all the vibes, all the good times. And so uh, that morning, man, everything was perfect. Uh, the band was on point. Anyone remember the band? Like, man, they were crushing it. And uh, if you guys remember, like, the morning was, like, super, super cloudy. And so we thought it was going to rain. But the Lord held back the clouds for us. And there was not a hint of rain. Come on, let's give God praise. Um, that was brutal praise. But uh, <laughs> come on. Hopefully he knows your hearts. Um, But everything went perfect that morning, everything except for one little issue, and that issue was me. Uh, If you guys were here uh, that morning, you'll know that uh, pretty much like halfway through the sermon, uh, I started to lose my voice. And uh, it was really weird because like, number one, for a speaker of any caliber, uh, to lose your voice in the midst of speaking is like the things that nightmares are made out of. and so, like, literally, like, around the 15-minute mark, I know, because I've listened to it, uh, like, at the start of the sermon, I was like, come on, somebody, like, let me hear you. Who's excited to be here? 15 minutes in, I was like, can you guys hear me? Like, my voice was just going. And so, uh, thankfully, I got a glass of water, and I made it through the message. Uh, the only issue was, uh, <laughs> after the message, I was trying to uh, figure out what was wrong with my voice. And so, uh, as I was uh, talking to people, uh, I ended up talking to Daniel, who was doing sound that day. And uh, Daniel said something to me that was very uh, interesting. Because for me, I'm trying to figure out, like, I've never lost my voice when I'm speaking ever. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm, like, sucking in a wind because we're outside. And, and he's like, he just said something very interesting. He said, um, actually, he said, the issue is that you're projecting. And I was like, what do you mean projecting? He's like, well... You thought that you weren't being heard, and so you were speaking louder. And uh, I thought it was so interesting. He said, yeah, you thought you weren't being heard, so you spoke louder, and you ended up just hurting yourself. And uh, it was really interesting because I felt like there was a whole lot of things that I could take from that message that the prophet Daniel told me. Uh, He's just a sound guy, but I love him. And uh, it was interesting because, you see, what happened in the midst of that message that I was speaking so loud uh, and I didn't even realize it. Subconsciously, I thought I wasn't being heard. And so I ended up speaking louder and in turn, I was just hurting myself. Now, the beauty of a microphone is that you don't actually need to speak louder. The issue can just be resolved if you turn up the mic. (laughs) The microphone. Um, And so uh, it was funny because I realized something in that moment. And what I realized was that if you do not know what your issues are, uh, you will often end up going to the wrong places to try to find the solution. And oftentimes, if you don't know your issues yourself, you might just end up hurting yourself further. Very interesting. 
We're in the second part of our series this morning called Hashtag Throwback. Can you guys make some noise if you heard part one? Just come on. Uh, if you guys didn't hear it, if you're watching it online, hey, you can go back and watch part one. If you're here, you can watch part one uh, next week, tomorrow, whenever. Uh, but what we're doing in this series is we are going through the book of Genesis. And what we're doing in this series, and the reason we're calling it Hashtag Throwback, is because the book of Genesis is the first book in our Bible, and it documents the oldest events that we know happened here on earth, and so hence the name Hashtag Throwback. And if you guys are with us last week, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve. And what we looked at was this world that was created perfect, and then sin entered, also known as the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve. Now, what we saw and how we finished our message last week was in Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15, we found that although humankind messed up, God put in a plan of redemption. And so Genesis 3.15, what we looked at last week, it said, He will strike uh, your heel, but you will crush his head, was what is known as Proto-Evangelium which is literally transferred, translated as first good news. And so this is the very first instance in the Bible that the good news was proclaimed. And it begins a theme that we'll see in Genesis. And, and the reason I'm throwing this back is because this is important. What happens over and over again in the book of Genesis, or really throughout the whole Bible, is that we mess up and God does something to get us back on the right path. And so... What we're going to do uh, in today's message, and not necessarily the whole series, is I want to actually pick up right where we left off last week. We're not going to do this every week, but I want to do this this week. So where we are this week is we are looking at the story of Cain and Abel. Now this is a very famous story. If Even if you have like a, a, a short church history, you've probably heard of this story in some capacity, or at least people referencing it. Now, as famous as this story is, it's one that's probably not often preached on, but uh, I want to look at it this morning because I want us to see this theme of Scripture in this story as well. So, what we learned last week was Adam and Eve, first people on earth, they mess up, and now sin has entered the world. Everyone following? Okay, so Adam and Eve have some children. This is where we pick it up. Genesis chapter 4 says this. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Come on, somebody, clap your hands. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now, before we move on, I want us to understand something very important. Because when people look at this story, there's a few common misconceptions that they have, and I just want to put them away uh, immediately before we get into the actual story of Cain and Abel. Number one, the misconception that people have is that Cain and Abel were the first two children of Adam and Eve. Number one, the text never says that. And one thing that you're going to see in Genesis is the book of Genesis will often span numbers of years, even hundreds of years in one sentence. And so when it tells us that Cain and Abel are two of their children, that's not to say they're the only children. They're just the only ones important to this story. And, and, and especially when we read on, which we're not going to this morning, when we start talking about where did Cain's wife come from, uh, it gives you a better answer. And yes, it was his sister. Um, but, uh, old times, genealogies weren't uh, as corrupted as now. Um, but that's the first misconception that they're the only children. The next is this idea that when the story that we're going to read happens, uh, Adam or Cain and Abel are children. 
Now, a lot of people think that when this, the events that transpire happen, they're little kids. And I don't know if you guys felt that, but at least growing up, I thought that because when my brother and I fought, my dad would call us Cain and Abel. And so I just assumed they're children. Now, if you guys know what's about to happen in the story, that's a pretty extreme reference for his children, but that's what he refers to. So just getting those two things out of the way as you move on, uh, verse 3 says this. It says, in the course of time, adults now, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. His face was downcast. Now what the Bible says is that when his face is downcast, that literally means he was depressed. He's depressed. Now, I want us to understand this verse, because for a lot of people, when they read this part of the story, there's kind of this idea. There's this idea that's presented that God accepts Abel and rejects Cain. God accepts Abel and rejects Cain. In order for us to understand this story, in order for us to see how this thing pushes out, we need to get rid of this misconception. Because nowhere in this story is it suggesting that God is accepting Abel and rejecting Cain. Like there's some kind of divine favoritism going on. This story has nothing to do with Cain and Abel. What it's trying to get us to see is the two offerings that they brought. I want us to keep that in mind. And we'll get back to that in a second. But what happens in this story is that Cain, much like many of us, the way that he sees it, the way that he perceives the event, is that God is comparing him to his brother. And he's not good enough. And I want us to see this because it's so interesting that when sin comes into the world, when we're no longer in this perfection, one of the very first things that enters into the world is comparison. One of the very first results of sin is comparison. Now what we're doing in this morning, what I really want to do, I want us to hashtag check ourselves. Because what I believe to be true is that for so many of us, we have issues in our lives and we don't even fully understand them. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Cain because I believe through his life, he's going to paint a picture that so many of us deal with. And so the first thing I want us to understand about ourselves is that Cain compares himself to Abel. And what we need to understand is that when we compare, comparison kills. We'll see it literally in a second. But for so many of us, we have issues in our lives. And I just happen to believe one of the biggest issues that so many of us have is this issue of comparison. Because what happens when we compare ourselves to other people, we immediately are robbing ourselves of something. Because we no longer feel adequate. We no longer feel like we're good enough. Well, if I was just like them. And so what happens with comparison, comparison brings along his cousin, jealousy. Because it's like, man, if I only looked like that, if I only had what they had, if I've only been given opportunities like they had, but what we're going to see in this story is that comparison kills. And what we need to understand when we look back to last week, we have this idea as God is creator. And one of the beauties, when we understand that God is creator, what that means is that God has created each and every one of us. And so if each and every one of us have been created, what that means is that each and every one of us is an original. We're an original. And so here's what I want us to understand. Comparison kills, but put this in our heads as well. God never compares what he creates. 
God never compares what he creates. One of the beauties of creation week is that after everything he creates, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. God does not compare what he creates. We as humans compare each other, but compare ourselves with each other. But God never compares what he creates. And the reason he never compares what he creates is because you are, in you are designed intentionally. You were created intentionally with a purpose. Each, one, of the, one of the cool things, I think we have uh, identical twins. And uh, I know Chantel's here as well. Her and her sister are identical twins as well. Hashtag twin nation. Um, <laughs> one of the cool things about twins is like, even though they come at the same time, and even though the biology, like literally it's like an egg that's splitting, even though they are so, so similar, my, my daughters and Chloe and Chantel, uh, they're different. They're different. Twins are literally the closest you can have to like someone being exactly like you, and they're still completely different people. Because God has created each and every one of us as an individual, and we were never meant to compare what God has created. Because listen to this, you can write this one down, comparison steals joy. As soon as we start comparing ourselves to other people, it robs us of joy, and it also robs God of what he wants to do for, through us. This was a lesson I had to learn very early on, and you guys can take this for whatever you do, because it's the same thing. But we live in a world right now where everything is very public. And so what that means is it's easier than ever to compare ourselves to other people. For myself as a preacher, as a pastor, when I first started, man, like I would go on YouTube and Facebook, and I would watch sermons, and I wasn't watching them to get blessed. I was literally just comparing myself to other people. And I was like, man, I'll never be that good. I'll never be able to explain things the way they explain things. I'll never be able to, 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 to understand the way they understand. And so what happened was I immediately, before I even really started, I put myself down here because I was comparing myself to people up here. But you want to know what freed me? And I can, you can take this for any context, whatever you do. It was this idea that God has created me as an individual. And so what that means is, why am I comparing myself to other people when the reality is there's actually only one of me on the earth? And there's only one person that can do things the way I can do things because God has created me intentionally. And so what that means is there's only one person that can do things the exact way you do them. And God has a specific plan for your life, and God has designed you intentionally. You can clap your hands. Don't be scared. Comparison kills. And comparison, listen to this, never comes from God. It never comes from God. does not compare what he creates. Each and every one of us, you are an individual. You have something that no one else has. But I want us to understand something. Although you guys are unique, although each and every one of you has a skill set, you have gifts, you have a personality that's amazing, you're not perfect. Do you guys know that? Like we're not perfect. Like, although God has created us, each and every one of us is still messed up. Each and every one of us still has flaws. But here's the thing, and we're going to see it in this story. The problem with comparison is that when we inevitably have issues in our lives, which we will, our first response will be to blame someone else. Right. And, and well, for us to believe that, man, my problem is actually a result of them. My issue is able. It's because God loves him and God doesn't love me. You see, the way that Genesis describes both these offerings, that they're not exclusive to each other. And what that means is not that God did not reject Cain's offering because of Abel's. 
That's how a lot of people read it. God rejected Cain's because he had seen Abel's. No, 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 no. They're, they're not exclusive. They're, they're each their own thing. And so we need to understand this. Because for so many of us, the reason we have issues in our lives is because we think it's someone else's fault. I'm only here because of them. Well, my family wasn't so messed up. But although we're created individually, each and every one of us also has issues. So I want us to understand the offering, because it's going to make things more clear. So we'll go back to the text for a second. And I'll break down the two offerings, because this is the issue. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, here's the first thing I want us to understand. Number one, nowhere in this part, in the book of Genesis to this point, does God ask for them to bring an offering. Understand this. If, some, if an offering is required, it actually ceases to be an offering. No one pays offerings to the government. It's called taxes. Right? Nowhere does God ask for an offering. Because an offering, what it is, by definition, is to give something to someone. As an act of adoration, I want to give this to you. And so nowhere does God ask for an offering, but they both bring an offering. And so the issue is the offering. It says, it says I'll, I'll go with Abel's first. It says, Abel brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now what the text is trying to get us to understand is that what Abel gave to God was his absolute best. The fat portion of, of, of the fat of any cattle in, in that time and really now, because fat still tastes good. Come on, somebody. Uh, it, it was rich and it was luxurious to give this. But more so than that, it says that Abel gave the firstborn of his flock. Why is this important? The firstborn means this. The first. You see, Abel could have very easily been like, you know what, I'm going to finish my farming year and if I have ten goats... I'll give God one. I'm just doing my 10%. But what the Bible says is that he gave his first. And the thing about the first is this. There was no guarantee there would be a second. There's no guarantee he'd have more cattle. That's just the risk that you take. But what he's saying inherently is I want to give God my very best. I want to give him everything because of all that he's done for me. That's what an offering is. is to give him your best. Cain, it says, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. Now, this is very vague, but the Bible wants us to see this. Because some people are like, oh, it's, it's a lamb versus fruits. Obviously, God likes lambs better. <laughs> no, Cain worked the land and Abel was a shepherd. But what the Bible is trying to point out is the mindset and the attitude of Cain. When it says some of, what that means is he's just giving God something because he feels like he has to. I'm just giving God something because I feel like I should. And it's very, it can be easy to miss this, but what the Bible is trying to point out here, what it's trying to get us to see, is that Cain is actually the very first example in the Bible of a spirit of religion. And a spirit of religiosity. And some of us like, what's the spirit of religion? It's super simple. A spirit of religion is this. It says, everything I do is so that God will approve of me. I'm just given this so God will approve of me. Now what the Bible tells us is that God never asked for anything. 
And so Cain has this attitude, he has this twisted picture of God, like I owe him something. And so I'm going to give it to him. The problem is this, when we feel like we owe God something, and then we give him something, we will in turn now believe that God owes us. The problem with that is that God could never owe us anything, because he's already given us everything. And so what happens, I say to understand this, in this story, the issue is not Cain versus Abel. It's that one offering was given out of a spirit of devotion, while one was given out of a spirit of religion. And we need to understand this because what we're doing in this series is we're showing how the themes of the Bible are constant throughout. And some people have this idea that, man, like Jesus, he was this dude that came to overthrow religion. Understand this. This is Genesis chapter 3. God has never been about religion. The spirit of religiosity that says this is what you must do to gain approval. From the very beginning, God rejects it. That's, how, that's why he rejects the offering of, of Cain. I love what Hosea chapter 6 says. This is also in the Old Testament. God says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Now understand this. God's not some of you guys like, I don't have to serve anymore. Yes. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you're going to do something, it better be out of the spirit of devotion. Like I'm doing this out of what God has done for me, not out of what I feel like I owe God or what God could do for me if I serve him. He says, I want you to show love, not offer. It's all about the attitude. The attitude of Cain was wrong, and the heart of Abel was pure. And that's what God was rejecting. But Abel didn't even have to be in the picture. God would have still rejected Cain's offering. Do you guys see that? And so his issue is attitude. It changes everything. God wants us to live in a spirit of devotion. It's like one thing I've realized is like if I buy my wife flowers, like it's nice on Valentine's Day. But she really appreciates it a random Tuesday morning. Because one is like, well, you better get me flowers. And the other is just an act of devotion. It's the same thing. It's about attitude. And when we have an attitude, I guess this is what I have to do. I'm just going to give God my 10%. I'm just going to serve if I have to. God actually rejects that attitude, rejects that offering. And that's what we see in the story. But what I want us to understand is we're talking about ourselves. What Cain is failing to see is that the problem is him. And so Genesis 4 goes on. The Lord said to Cain, because Cain's depressed and he's angry, can't believe you comparing me to my brother. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Cain, why are you depressed? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, look at this part, that's what I want us to see. He says, sin is crouching at your door." It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I love what he says. God said, why are you at, what is your issue? You see, for so many of us, we have issues, and we never actually ask ourselves or address, what is my real problem? That's what God is saying to Cain. He said, what is your, what are you actually angry about? Because it's not your brother, you just think it is. But I love what he says. Though. He says, hey, hey, Cain, I need you to get, I need you, I need you to confront this. Because if you do not, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You see, the issue with Cain is that he fails to see his biggest problem. You see, each and every one of us, we have an issue. 
But if we don't know what our issue is, we'll just end up screaming and hurting our voice when all we had to do was turn up the mic. You see, for so many of us, we have an able in our lives. It's something or it's someone that's easy to blame for why I am where I am right now. But what God is saying, he's saying, look deeper. What's your issue? But what he's saying is this. We need to understand our issues. We need to understand ourselves. And he gives us a vivid illustration. Sin is crouching. It's waiting to take over you. This is what God is saying. He's saying what we do not conquer will consume us. What we do not conquer will consume us. Because for some of us, like man, I just have a little jealousy, sure. I just have a little anger, yes. But it's because everyone in my office is so incompetent. If I didn't work with him, I wouldn't be like this. But what he's saying, listen to this, because this is this is the the the, the insidious nature of sin. It starts small. It, it comes in a little thing. But if we do not address it, if we do not understand our own issues, if we do not check ourselves, it begins to grow and it begins to grow and it begins to grow. In heart problems, we talked about this. This is what anger is. Because some people are like, man, I'm only angry at my mother. That's it. <laughs> the problem with anger, though, is anger moves from one person. I'm mad at one person. And it grows to I'm mad at everyone. And it's like, man, how did that person become like that? It's like, well, they had an issue with one person. But they never dealt with it, and it just began to grow. It's the same thing with lust. Some people are like, well, if I just have sex, I'll be good. If we do not manage it, if we do not learn to control these emotions, they begin to conquer us. This is where addiction comes into place. This is, where, this is how affairs happen. It's just little, 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 but it grows. And so God is saying to Cain, what you do not conquer will consume and so here's what I want us to understand this morning. Each and every one of us, we have a weakness. Write this one down. I have a weakness. Superman had a weakness. The problem for so many of us is our weakness is something that we ourselves can't see. It's a blind spot. Some of you guys are like, well, it's a blind spot. Like, how do I, how do I know what my weakness is? Guess what? Ask someone that's close to you. Because I guarantee they know because the thing is this, a lot of times we are the last people to see our own problems. And so each and every one of us has a blind spot. But if we never check our blind spot, the result will be disastrous. It's like this last week or two weeks ago, uh, I was driving uh, to go pick up a soundboard. And uh, we were in this Mazda truck. Uh, yes, Mazdas have trucks, I guess. Uh, but this thing is not really a truck. It was more of like a car with like a truck flatbed. And... Uh, Super small, super weird, super early 90s. And so we were driving to go pick up a soundboard. It was me, it was Daniel, the guy that was doing sound that I talked about at the start. And it was Brendan right here in the front row that was on electric guitar. And so we all went to pick up this soundboard. And as we were driving back in this small 90s truck, we're on the Anthony Hendon. We're in the right lane, just doing our own thing, enjoying life, digesting our A&W. And uh, what happens is this truck comes up beside us. And this truck, like it's a real truck, not like this Mazda thing. Um, and it's got like a, <laughs> it's like a, you know, F-150, whatever you men drive. And uh, connected to it on the back is like a 40-foot trailer. Just like a big beast, like hashtag Alberta. Um, <laughs> and so we're driving on the Hyundai. And so what happens is the truck is in the left lane, we're in the right lane. And the truck 
passes us. Now the truck, for whatever reason, we're now in his blind spot, obviously, because we're right behind him. Uh, this truck, he's an older gentleman, I don't know, he forgot if he's, that he's carrying a 40-foot trailer. And so he immediately starts into our lane. Now, the problem with this old Mazda truck, other than the fact that there was three grown men in the front seat very close to each other, <laughs> was the fact that the horn on it didn't work. And so, and I think it's like one of those, like not even like a horn, like one of the buttons. <laughs> and so like Daniel's like trying to hit the button. <laughs> and so what happens, like this trailer's coming towards us and literally he's like pressing the button, nothing's happening, we're in his blind spot and like we are literally about to die. And I'm not even kidding you. And at one point this trailer is literally this far away from us. Now thankfully I'm on the right side passenger side and so Daniel and Brendan are closer to death than me so they're screaming and I'm just sitting there like hey whatever happens happens I gotta preach tomorrow so I think the Lord's gonna protect me and so literally this car is coming and like thankfully thankfully Daniel's master truck is so small we can put the whole thing on the shoulder and so we just like go onto the shoulder and that truck passes us as if nothing happens. The car behind us, behind that one, was like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> he was confused. We almost died. Why am I telling you this? Because I need you guys to understand the danger of a blind spot. If you can't see something, it doesn't mean it's not there. And what happens with a blind spot is it's real close to you. And so for so many of us, we have these hidden issues. We have these deep issues that we've never addressed. Yeah. Listen, Cain's issue is not Abel. It's got many issues. It's got anger. It's got jealousy. A part of it is probably pride. Like, you're not going to accept this. This is a mango. <laughs> Unresolved issues just build. And they build and they build. And so some of us are asking, like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, what do I do? How do I get rid of my blind spot? Super simple, two things. Transparency and accountability. Transparency and accountability. Transparency is this. Simple as this. It's to say, guess what? I'm not perfect. And so I need someone to check me. You want to know the way that most of us live? It's like, life's actually really good. Like, have you not seen my Instagram feed? Life is great. But the issue is this. If our lives have no transparency, we will never be open to accountability because we live in shame. But when we can get to that point, it's like, I'm not perfect. I have issues. I have a blind spot. Then I can begin to find accountability in my life. Listen to this. One of the things that Matt just like scared me for these last four months, for us being alone, some of us like literally just you, is that for four months, many of us have had a way to be accountable to no one. No one knows if I watch church online. No one knows if I'm struggling. No one knows if I'm sleeping until 3 p.m. No one knows. And so what happens and why this season coming back is going to be a slow build is because for so many of us, we need to have accountability again, but we don't want it. Listen, the, the, the purpose of church, other like it's nice to worship, it's nice to listen to a message, but what we saw clearly was that all of that could be online. Most some of you guys, lots of you guys are watching online right now. And so this part of it can be done online. Online, it can be done by yourselves. When I'm up here, I speak generalities. 
And I hope they hit with like fire and bone and arrows. Like, I hope it hit someone. Like poor, hit that way. Hope it hits you. But when we have accountability in our lives, it means I actually have someone in my life that can speak to my specific issues. Not in generalities, but in specific calities. <laughs> That's even a word. I need people in my life to hold me accountable. I need people in my life that I can tell I'm struggling right now. That's the purpose of church. If you come in here and you walk in and you walk out, that's amazing. I'm happy you're here. We're happy you're here. But man, what I want more so is you to have some accountability in your life. People that can walk with you. People that can encourage you. Because us, left to ourselves, things just build and they build and they build. And so I can imagine because what happens is this. If you have no accountability in your life, anyone that tries to give you accountability, it just comes across as judgmental. I can, kind of, I can kind of imagine, you know, Cain. God's like, what's your issue? Cain's like, don't judge me. You know what don't judge me means? It means I'm not quite ready to stop what I'm doing right now. So don't judge me. And so what happens is he does not heed the advice. He's not transparent, he's not accountable. Because God says, hey, check yourself. Sin is crouching. It's ready to overtake you. Cain's like, nah, I'm here. And so what happens is this. He says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Look at this. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Listen, if we don't know who our enemy is, we'll always attack the wrong person. You want to know who your enemy is? It's you. It's me. We're the issue. It's not anyone else. And so what happens is if we don't understand ourselves, we attack the wrong people. That's why wherever you go, the employees have always sucked. You're like, what kind of luck do I have? Every job is the worst. I can't, I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't pick the right people. I've been in 45 relationships, but no person is just, they're always, no, 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 no. There's one constant, and it's you. But what happens, and look, I'm, I'm light, but this is tragic. He attacks his brother because he thinks his brother is the issue. My brother is my problem. Listen, what we do not, write this down, write this one down. What we do not confront will consume it. It consumes us. It just builds and it builds and it builds. Until Cain eventually kills his brother. But I want us to see something. Next verse says this. It says, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now, if you guys were with us last week, and if you weren't, go check it. This parallels very, very similarly to what God said to Adam and Eve when they sinned. He said, Adam, where are you? I want us to understand something. Whenever God asks us a question, it's not that God can learn something. It's that we learn something. God already knows what the answer is. God knew where Adam and Eve were, and God knows where Abel is. He says, Cain... Where is your brother Abel? You see, what God is doing here, God is providing Cain a chance to repent, a chance to confess. God could have came down and said, Cain, what have you done? You're a terrible person. You've killed your brother. Don't you know there's nothing more vile, more disgusting? You are lower than dirt. But he says, no, no, no. He says, where is your brother Abel? 
He says, Cain, this is your chance to repent. This is your chance to say, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I've fallen short. Listen to this. This is the theme throughout the Bible. It's the scandal of grace. And the scandal of grace says we mess up, but God makes a way. So he says, where is your brother Abel? Listen, I don't think there's anything more vile, more low than killing an innocent person. Killing your brother. But the scandal of grace says that God will actually meet you in the darkest and the lowest places. And he says, where is your brother Abel? He says, Cain, now is your chance. But I want us to understand something. Because for so many of us, we don't even see it. But God gives us this chance every single day. But what happens when we don't confront the things inside of us, and they build and they build, when God comes and extends us grace, we actually view his grace as judgment. He says, where is your brother Abel? Look what he says next. I don't know, he replied. And in one of the most chilling verses in the Bible, he says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, what are you asking me for? You see, for each and every single one of us, the Bible tells us that life and death is presented before us each and every day. And Cain, in this moment, he has the opportunity to accept the invitation of God. To say, God, I just, I'm sorry, I messed up, I can't believe I did this. But instead, the hardened heart says, I'm not going to respond to grace, I'm just going to run. I don't know if you reply. Am I my brother's you need to understand something. Had Cain responded, when we saw this with Adam and Eve, even when they made excuses, they still admitted what they had done. If he had responded, God would have given him forgiveness. But instead, Cain rejects it. Look what happens next. Then the Lord said, what have you done? Now, a lot of people view that as like, man, God is really upset about the fact that, that Abel is dead. And that's a part of it. But I think more the pain in his voice is like, man, I can't believe you didn't accept the free gift. But look at this part. He says, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now understand this. This is very important. God is full of love. God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. But God is also equally just. And so what that means is this. God will give us forgiveness for literally anything that we have ever done. But with every action, there's a consequence. And so we don't see it in this story because it didn't play out. But if Cain would have repented, God would have forgiven him, but Cain would have still had to do something to make up for the life that he had taken. That's what it says when the blood cries out. It means there has to be payback. Because listen to this. Each and every one of us, we know this intrinsically. We cry out for justice. When a life is taken, we want justice. And so God says, man, the, the ground cries out, but God would have forgiven him anyways. And whatever sacrifice that Cain would have had to offer, it would have been enough. Cain rejects it. But here's the thing I want us to understand, because this is the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when you messed it up, you had to make amends. That's what I just said. 
But this story, it also points forward to the New Testament. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it actually references the story and it says this. It says, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the one that sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Some of us are like, what does that mean? You see, the old covenant, even though there was forgiveness, there still had to be payback. We never see it because Cain doesn't even accept it. But he still would have had to do something. If you read the Old Testament, that's why there's sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Because when you mess up, when each and every one of us mess up, you have to make amends. The problem with our humanity that we see over and over again is that we actually can't make amends for our mistakes. The things that we do are too great. And so many of us in our lives, I don't know what our able is, but we have a blood that cries out. That says you have to pay back for what you've done. Because you've messed up. And so listen to this. The blood of Abel cries for payback. But what Hebrews chapter 12 says is that when Jesus came, Jesus became the sacrifice. And it wasn't just the sacrifice for one person. It was the sacrifice for everyone. Come on, somebody. And so what that means is that the word spoken by the blood of Abel was a word of death. This is what you deserve. And this is what each and every one of us deserve. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And it says, you have life. In my name, you have life. Listen to this. Here's the scandal of grace, New Covenant style. Not only does God forgive us, we don't even have to pay it back because Jesus has paid the price. He paid the price. It's, it's a better word. Someone shout better word. It's a better word. But listen to this. Humanity stays the same. And so each and every one of us, every single day, we have the opportunity to respond to this. But for so many of us, even though we have a better word, we have Jesus that has given us everything. For many of us, it's like, man, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But every single day, an opportunity is new. So listen to this, because we're going to go back to Cain. You want to know the tragedy of this story? The tragedy of the story is this. Not that God would punish us, but that we as humans would actually choose what we deserve. I need you to get that. The tragedy of life is not even that we get what we deserve. It's that we choose what we deserve. Because what God has done, what God has saved, He's given us a chance each and every day to choose that which we do not deserve. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this. He says, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, is open. Let's just stand for a second, church. What this is saying, and here's the scandalous part about it, is that each and every day we do not have to get what we deserve. All we have to do is accept Jesus and accept the better word that his blood offers us. And so right here, right now, hey, we want to give an opportunity to people Maybe you've never made that choice to follow Jesus before. 
If that's you right now, man, let's just close every eye, every head is bowed. We just want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's super simple. All we ask you to do is raise your hand. And we're not here to call you out, not here to embarrass you. Just give you the opportunity to respond to the grace of Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope it was something that you needed to hear. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca slash connect. We'd love to get in touch with you. Until next time, take care.